This week's pop culture reference is brought to you by the Professional Cinema Society's Halloween Horror Anthology Double Feature, featuring Trick or Treat and Creep Show. This is on October 25th at 7 p.m. and will be located in Mitchell Hall in room B91. Come on down and have a spooky time with us. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Broadcasting dead from the land of the remembered, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm Garrett Strother. I'm Seamus Connolly. Ricardo Salgado. I think we're going to kick it right off with some news, boys. Seamus, I hear that you brought in some. Oh, uh, the news that I am most interested about right now, I'm, I'm bringing it back to video games again. I hope I didn't already bring this up on a past podcast. The PS5 has officially been uh, announced for release uh, holidays 2020. It's going to be backwards compatible with uh, PS4 stuff. Apparently there's going to be like haptic feedback components yeah, to the controllers, which are really interesting. It means like uh, like movement of your hands. Like, you know how they integrated like the little swipe screen uh-huh. on the PS4? I think they're just like going bigger with that kind of idea. Have you ever used that pad for anything? Yeah, sometimes. I, mean, I, I try to use it because it's, it's just very fun to... That's like, yeah, that's like their innovation for this controller. I'm into it. Apparently, it's going to support up to 8K resolution, which I think is a bit absurd. 8K? Because I think past 6K, the human eye literally can't tell a difference. So I think they're maybe preparing for, like, better TVs or I under, something. I, under, I understand that PlayStation, like, trying to get ahead of that, but at the same time, that seems a bit extreme. It will be playing 4K Blu-ray and regular Blu-ray. So I think that's... Nice to hear that they're playing. I think it's hilarious that the PlayStation 4 Pro didn't already play 4K Blu-ray because that's yeah. a 4K. That's supposedly a 4K machine. Yeah, that's that's pretty ridiculous. One one thing about the new PlayStation 5 that I find great is that they're going to like really nice solid state drive stuff to yeah. like just max out memory capabilities and make. Make loading times so small, apparently. Like, it's going to make loading times very much less of a, a nuisance for anyone, so... That's great. You know, I won't have to wait 45 minutes to play Red Dead Redemption 2 trying to load <laughs> into that world. I'll, I'll just get to jump right in. It does take it a takes long a minute. time. That it for PlayStation 5? Do you have any final thoughts on that other than that we're excited and that we're going to... I'm excited. I'm going to buy it on release. Yeah. I have to start saving now because it's going to be one expensive machine. Are but... you going to buy it on release or are you going to hope they release it before Black Friday so that there's a Black Friday sale? I think they're trying to... They're probably going to release it... Well, you said like... it's holidays 2020. Yeah, it's so probably towards Christmas. A, uh, a Black Friday deal. I don't think so, man. I think they're going to do post-Black Friday pre-Christmas to just max out other stuff. Oh, uh, maybe. Something, during the hol- something that big during the holidays without it being like a big Black Friday like selling point. Well, I'm sure. sure in the next few months we'll find out. I ho- well, Hell, if it, is, if it is Black Friday, I'm it's going to be my first Black Friday ever is going to be going to buy that. Well, it's keeping me from going and buying a PS4 on Black Friday this holiday season. Yeah, so I think it's worth it's it worth to the wait, give, it a, give it a year over. Because then I'll just be a generation behind again. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to be that. Yeah, especially if it's going to be backwards compatible. Exactly. You can play your Spider-Man. In other news, Disney Pixar has released a new trailer for their newest film, Onward. Which oh, that's right. I saw the thumbnail for that. It looks interesting. It's Tom Holland and Chris Pratt yeah. are elves in a world where, back in like the, you know. Uh, the fairy tale times. It hmm. was like the fairy tales, but now that world has evolved and they've become a modern society. Where does Will Smith come in? Oh, like um, <laughs> when does Will Smith turn into a pigeon? Like, oh, I thought you meant like bright, right? Yeah, I was making a bright joke. Well, oh. Seamus, you just don't know what you're talking Sorry. about. Sorry. Well, Tom Holland's in that Will Smith movie where he turns him into a pigeon. Yeah, that's also true. That's, <laughs> I'm covering that for the show, right? Oh God, spies I, in disguise. I don't know if we should. Well, I think Onward looks pretty good. Um. It's basically just the Shrek universe, except without humans, <laughs> really. Um, the but perfect world. <laughs> the idea is that Tom Holland and Chris Pratt are brothers, and they're elves or something. 
some kind of like, mystical creature. They're blue. Their sure. dad's dead or something. Yeah, their dad is dead, and they find out that on their 16th birthday, they're supposed to use this spell. Wait, are they twins in this movie? No. One of that. Tom Holland's turning 16, and Chris okay. Pratt's already 16, or whatever. They're supposed to use his wizard staff to cast a spell that brings him back to life for one day, but halfway through casting the spell, something goes wrong, and so only the bottom half of their father is back. <laughs> what? From the nether realm. So it's just a pair of That's living legs? It's a pair of living legs, and so they have 24 hours to go on a road trip to get whatever they need to get to bring the rest of him back. Wow. Can That's... The legs talk? No, but it se- they have consciousness and they can hear, it seems. So it looks cute enough. I'm... The animation looks fun. I like the animation. Uh, the character design, I'm not so sure about. It, they're a little rubbery. It's now where I thought the plot was going. Yeah. No, me strange. neither. But, I mean, I'm excited to see what Pixar has to do with it. I'm just excited for original Pixar ideas. The last few original Pixar ideas, I, I think, have worked pretty well. So. Yeah, I mean... Speaking of original Pixar ideas. Should we get up segues? Let's just jump right into our main segment in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month for October... We watched Coco, Disney Pixar's Coco. Ricardo and I had already seen it before. Mm-hmm. Seamus, you would not. What did you think? I thought it was fantastic. I, I snoozed on it for so long for no particular reason. Just, you know, a lot of Pixar stuff kind of uh, falls through the cracks for me nowadays because there are so many, like, more uh, movies that I, I plan on seeing in theaters, and I, I always try to prioritize some of the more adult things over it, which makes me sound like a jerk, because this movie was fantastic, and I, I'm a little, I'm, I don't know how I feel about having, you know, made myself wait this long to see it, and it, yeah, it, man, You don't get more adult than tequila and murder. Yeah, yeah, you know, let's, are we, are we just jumping into spoilers? Well, I think real quick, let's give our thoughts on the film. I think it's surprisingly adult for uh, a family film. Mm-hmm. I think it, like it deals with death in a really somber, respectful way, but one that kids might not. It's like it could be scary. I think for a lot of kids, just the existential horror. It was like, oh, one day no one will remember me. Yeah, God, that's a real possibility. Oh, the real death is being forgotten. Awesome. I'm eight, <laughs> and I'm not supposed to be thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, it's, de- it's dealing with family and legacy in a way that's really poignant but also really complex and i think that that would intimidate a lot of younger viewers which might be the part of the reason that they released it the same year as incredibles 2 which pixar doesn't usually drop more than one movie a year but it kind of makes sense to you know you can corner both markets a little bit and i think they very successfully did that agreed because like along with how real these concepts of death feel and that it's it's partnered with just skeleton shenanigans mm-hmm. and it's yeah. good skeleton shenanigans oh, you know this movie's way funnier than i remember it being i mm-hmm. there were multiple times where i was laughing out loud yeah same here honestly it, just yeah, the hector's a riot yeah he's funny the, the eyeballs falling through his head into his mouth the the, he's running, holding his hand, and he looks back, and he's like, hey, wait up, you took my arm or whatever. It's great. See, I think I guess we should give a brief premise of the film, which is Miguel, a young boy in a large family of shoemakers that outlaw music from their lives, really wants to be a musician following the steps of his idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. When Miguel steals the guitar of De La Cruz in order to play in a festival on Dia de los Muertos, he gets stuck in the afterlife and has to get his family's blessing to return back to the land of the living. And everybody in the afterlife is composed of skeletons, which is some really great visual humor. Yeah. They really have fun with it. The movie itself, the animation, I think, is... Oh, it's spectacular. It's incredible. The city, that, that one shot of the big... Just the full city alone. That has like six million points of light or something yeah. in it. Oh, God, yeah. It's gorgeous. I think this is the prettiest movie Pixar's ever made. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know I if I can argue. The only other film that I can think that even holds a candle to it is Nemo. I was going to say maybe Moana. I really enjoy it. Moana not is not Pixar. Pixar. Yeah, that's Seamus. Cut. And he cut that out. Oh, God, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
Oh man, I I will say when he falls into water, I couldn't even tell that it was rendered water. It I was thinking like that real too. Real water. Just, I know the uh, exact shot you're talking about. Yeah, dude, it's it's very impressive to say the least. So yeah, I think this is a a big old thumbs up from me. I love this movie. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, this is in the top, if not the top. Uh, Pixar movie for me. Oh, I think it's it's definitely a top tier Pixar film. Absolutely. It's a huge return to form for them, I think. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's, it has everything that it really needs for like a, a solid Pixar thing. It's got like you know, it has so much heart in it. It's got the humor to go with. There's the fun animal sidekick that goes along for the ride. Dante. The, Love Dante. The subtly named Dante. Oh, yeah, right? Oh I my pi- god. I picked this up on this viewing also. So in one of the film Ernesto de la Cruz films that we see Miguel watching, the horse's name yeah, is Dante. Really? So Miguel has named the dog after Ernesto de la Cruz's horse. Before we jump to spoilers, I think we should all assess what we think of the film. I say cool. the hype is absolutely real. Yeah, 100% guarantee. I, I will third that. Uh, it is. It is. The hype is real. It is couth. It is. It is everything <laughs> it needs to be. Truly, couth Which or uncouth. <laughs> I don't know. Skeletons. Still mad that they put that goddamn Disney Frozen short at the beginning of this movie when it was in theaters. They cut it after a week and a half. Wait, what was the problem with the Frozen short? It was like 30 minutes long. It oh. was Olaf and Sven the reindeer on a little frozen adventure and it was super long and hurt ticket sales tremendously i believe there's even a boycott of the film in mexico until they yeah, mexico re- was real mad until they took the short out from out in front of it i didn't see it until the short was removed because Dang, i just it was made to be like a TV special on ABC. They just slapped it in front of this movie. Yeah, it sounds to me like they, the studio was like, no one's going to care about this this Hispanic, beautiful heritage family movie, so we're going to put this BS Frozen stuff so people will come. And then everyone's Guys, like, this is terrible. This a little too uh, Mexican. <laughs> yeah, basically. They're like, we need some more... Some more Norse vibes going on before we can jump the in. The whitest characters in our pantheon to be in front of <laughs> exactly. This Literally, Olaf, the whitest character yeah. in our pantheon. So, well, I'm I'm glad they you know got wise and took it out. I mean, I will never see that short. I suspect, and I'm really glad that they pulled it. it the thing that also really pisses me off about that is that it was taking the place of an actual Pixar short. Yeah, yeah. Like there should have been an actual Pixar short in front of. Coco and there wasn't. I think it was supposed to be Bao in, originally in front of Coco that got put in front of Incredibles 2. Bao was great. Bao's a great that short. Also, thematically, Bao would have been perfect for Coco. That's... Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, boy. It's... it's all about family and generations. And yeah, dude. The will of your offspring being different than the will of your own. So yeah, I think right now we're going to move into spoilers. So, spoiler warning for Coco. Uh, sorry about before, he thinks De La Cruz is his great-great-grandfather. That's the linchpin of this. Uh, it kicks it off in a way that uh, Miguel is hes desperate to like be the musician that he feels that he is on the inside. And uh, on his family's ofrenda, he sees this, uh, this picture of his great-great-grandmother with the face of his great-great-grandfather cut out. He puts two and two together with uh, the picture, seeing that he has the same guitar as De La Cruz, and that is what kind of sparks him going off to, like, you know, to, hunt for that. Yeah. To steal it. To, yeah, to, steal to grave it. rob well, his... Well, I mean, it's his birthright, right? If that's, well, that's... If De La Cruz is his great-great-grandfather. I mean, that's the point he tries to make, and everyone's like, no, that's BS. Get out of here. I don't know. Uh, something that I noticed... There was a lot of foreshadowing in the opening sequence that I had not caught in the past, including that when Miguel is running through the street, he taps, uh, like, drums Mm. on statues of all of the different spirit guides that are out on the table. And then the last thing he taps is the garbage can that has Dante in it. Foreshadowing, of course. Oh, my God. That that, Dante is a spirit guide. That is incredible. 
went right over my head, and that's dope. I thought that was a pretty fantastic little touch. Uh, the, the details in this movie, the little details, are so incredibly well thought out and well executed that you don't even think about them. Clearly so much work went into the background stuff of this movie that I think it doesn't go into a lot of film. Yeah, the animation, the small details, the music in general is just... musical. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a musical, and it's great about it. It's so good. Is this the only musical that Pixar's made? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, Is that true? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like, music in other things. You could say even... Maybe Toy Story is kind of musical it's in that Randy Newman sings yeah. over a lot of scenes. Baked into the DNA. No, this is this, one this is, is a well. This movie is specifically about music and all like, about music. Yeah, it's wonderful. So Miguel gets the afterlife. He finds his ancestors who will only give him their blessing to go back if he never plays music again. So he decides to go find De La Cruz to get De La Cruz's blessing. Uh, something that just very quick tangent. <laughs> that I was confused about about the afterlife is it's like a future city where there's flying trolleys and whatever yeah. but also they all have Windows 95 computers oh yeah <laughs> like the the technology is super outdated hey, except man, for dead technology what, what? I guess that's true <laughs> I guess it's yeah it's dead tech then again what year is it supposed to be like is there any modern i don't know i'm trying to think do they clues? have he doesn't have like a cell phone yeah, or no, anything. Not like they have his family's like shoemaker like cobbler people i think the only that yeah the most modern technology i guess we see other than a computer is a vcr that miguel has stowed away in yeah the attic so i guess it could be set in a previous time yeah i guess we don't really know i mean it doesn't really break my you know, suspension of disbelief. No, not in at there, all. And she, she like ruins I was the computer. Just, I thought it was an interesting. Like, I yeah. wondered what the decision making behind that. But now that Ricardo said it's a dead technology, I think that's probably that's exactly probably what it is. Someone pitched like threw that out as a throwaway yeah. in the writers' room, and they're like, "That's funny. We're writing it in." Mm-hmm. I thought you were gonna point out that it's the afterlife, but it seems like everyone has jobs. Yeah, that is also oh, yeah. interesting. Like, I mean, like we'd get bored for eternity, right? I guess it's something to do. It's something to do. Um, Also, is there a government in this weird afterlife? Because there's customs. Yeah, there's regulations for traveling. Like, are there laws? Is there any kind of, like, social welfare programs for the people who are about to be forgotten? How do those guys feel about working the one day of the year where they've got, like, stuff to do? That's a good question, too. That's very... It's well, like working on Christmas. Cops, I guess. Yeah. There's the cops, and one of the cops lets... Okay, so we meet our con man, Hector, who is, I think, one of the best characters ever put into a Pixar film. He's great. He's really great. And he has been trying to get through customs because there's nobody that's put his picture up on an ofrenda. He really needs to get back to the land of the living and a police officer lets him off with a warning. So are there there are police officers in this world in this afterlife. And maybe and the, one of the few rules is about like not being able to cross over without yep. specific things well, going you down. Physically can't. Yeah, you physically right. Yeah. yeah, I really everything about the way Hector is animated is incredible. His he his body operates on Mr. Potato Head laws of yeah. just whatever body part is removed is kind of autonomous, but also kind of linked to him. Yeah, it's it's great. Also, just to see, seeing him walk down the street is just like he's got like a weird skeleton swagger to mm-hmm. him. It's it's great. And I love in the scene where he's talking to the police officer when his hands are animated to just be little dudes. Yeah. And like walking over his forearm <laughs> and stuff, like mi- mimicking walking over the bridge. I thought that was gorgeous animation. They really had fun with the way the skeletons are animated in this film. And they really have fun. Or at least I thought it was very fun that he is disguised as uh, Frida Kahlo in and then the beginning we, part. And then we meet Frida Kahlo. Yeah, I was expecting She's that. very funny. I like... That's oh, one of the funniest bits in this whole Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. It's so dead on. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Because he'd be like, if Frida Kahlo were alive today, she'd be doing weird performance oh, art, right? Yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. And it's so accurate. It's not even like... It's more of a tribute than... I love it. And the dance is... Are all me <laughs> sucking from a cactus? That it's is also, also me. me. <laughs> yeah, it's so. Ah, it, oh, it was wonderful. It's 
that's a pretty great bit, I think. That that was something I wrote down that was like this is the funniest thing I've ever True. seen. Truly. It was like it was like yeah, it was like the funniest non cameo cameo ever. Or the, yeah. at least that I can remember. I like how dressing up as Frida Kyle is a running bit in this movie. Yeah, because yeah, he does great. it again to get into the party, right? Yeah, and that's a pretty organic way to link him to be able to get him to Frida Kahlo when mm-hmm. he and Miguel agree to work together. So to get Miguel to De La Cruz so that Miguel can get out and put Hector's picture on an ofrenda. That, like, that's a really nice way to start our little adventure. It doesn't feel forced in any way. You guys want to talk about uh, Cheech? Cheech. Wait, the, we, the character oh. of Cheech or Cheech Marin? Was that the character? Cheech Marin who played? No, the... Cheech Marin is played, it plays the customs officer, and then the character of Cheech is not played by Cheech Marin. <laughs> what a... He's played multiple roles in movies before. He could have just <laughs> tweaked his voice. But the character of Cheech... Yeah. I was more talking about the whole, that whole sequence. Yeah. You yeah. find out, like, there's death after yeah, there's death. Yeah, post-death death. And it is this tender, wonderful moment that is also heart-wrenching where Cheech, who is about to be forgotten in the real world and there go on into the final death, is being serenaded by Hector as his dying wish. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's one, his one last request is play me that, that one funny song. It's so... Yeah, I like that the song isn't like some tearjerker ballad mm-hmm. thing. It's like a funny kind of song you would sing with your buddies on a night of drinking. Yeah, it's yeah. like an old friend saying goodbye in like a very sweet and honest way. It's so human. It also made me think about the scene in Grape... Have you guys read Grapes of Wrath? No. I've seen Grapes of Wrath. Um, I don't know if it's in the film or not. There's a sequence where uh, Grandpa Jode is dying and they turn up to a shanty town and this family offers Grandpa Jode their tent so that he can die in a tent instead of out in the elements. Jeez. And it's just the little human thing that you can do when you're all down on your luck. And what, like, what can I do to make this easier for you? And it made me think about that a little bit. Too, too real. I didn't expect <laughs> it to get... Like, when he shows up to get the guitar in that scene, I wasn't ready to, like feel horrible about mm-hmm. an animated skeleton, but gosh darn it, I really did by the end. Well, it's also a very funny scene, because it's the whole where's my femur bit that Hector borrowed oh, yeah. Cheech's <laughs> femur and never brought it back, which is also like, what's the range on the bones being able to iron giant themselves back together? Yeah, right. <laughs> because yeah. clearly he can't. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's something to do with the being weak and forgotten, dying in a you sense. You lose your skeleton powers. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's the saddest part of all, losing skeleton powers. And then the movie takes a huge tonal shift to Miguel's plot to get to De La Cruz by winning the Ernesto De La Cruz Plaza Festival, mm-hmm. the, the music performance. And so we go from this heart-wrenching scene to... I think one of the best, other best scenes in the movie, Miguel's performance, first public performance ever. And definitely one of the one of my favorite songs in that movie for sure. The Un poco loco. Yeah, yeah come on, that, yeah, it was very, very fun. Yeah, high energy yeah, stuff. Your best uh, screech. I can't do that for you, man. <laughs> I, I'm that that feels wrong. Why don't you give yeah. me your best screech? <laughs> Am I the only one going to be doing this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I haven't done it in forever. I'm very nervous about it. (laughs) Hey, it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, man. That's that's, wonderful. That's that's what it is. That sounds great. You don't know how to play guitar, do you? I do not. Damn it. Never mind. (laughs) That's too bad. Though, boy, does Miguel play that guitar. Yeah, for like secretly in the attic, just like playing his makeshift (laughs) guitar, like wondering about music one day. He kills it in that performance. And then he ropes Hector up there with him. He really can. Oh, yeah, and then he does bring Hector up there for the... For the second half of the song. For the duet, get get a little harmony going. That, that, 
when the first time I saw it, that was the moment I was really on board with this movie. Was the the second Hector gets up and starts playing with him? Was I was like, okay, yeah, no, this movie's great. Yeah, got uh, it. Hector tap dancing with his bone yeah. feet on the stage. I love it. That's a pretty. It's very skeleton thing bit. to do. All that bone choreography. It it, it would have been so hard to animate. I Truly. Think. Also, while we're on how talented Miguel is. There is a amazing featurette on the DVD talking about the boy who plays Miguel. His name is Anthony Gonzalez. He was originally hired just to be on the, the scratch track. So the scratch track is when they're doing rough animation of the film and they need approximate timing of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so they hire actors who usually won't be the final actors in the film to just record the dialogue. And Anthony Gonzalez was doing such a good job. He was recording with uh, the director, Lee Unkrich, who, for the scratch track, was doing the voice of Hector. On the featurette, they're filming uh, this scratch track session. And Lee Unkrich is like, hey, Anthony, real quick, before we wrap up, there's something I really want to tell you. And so they bring Anthony's mother in, and they bring in a couple of their members of the crew with a big photo frame wrapped and Anthony Gonzalez unwraps it. It just says, in this really gorgeous graphic design, Coco font, says you got the part. So Anthony Gonzalez, who is supposed to just be on the scratch track, got the role of Miguel in the actual film that's actually him yeah. singing. And the in the feature, you can see his mother crying and thanking Leon Critch and I mean, like, talk about talk about your big break. Like, just not even expecting something like that and getting it dropped on you, and for it being as good as it is, like, it's a great performance. Like, oh, it's incredible. He is so good. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that you said that is him singing. Yeah. Like, he's got he's got a set of pipes on him. It's yeah, great. really, he does. I want to watch that featurette you're talking about. I'll I'll send you a link, Shane. Oh, please if do. If I remember correctly, he was on a he was on TV before. It was a, a Hispanic version of. The voice that's called La Voz Kids. I believe he was on that. Oh, cool. Oh, right on. I didn't know that. So he was a singer before he was a voice actor. Mm-hmm. I hope he sticks with it. I hope he gets more no, voice uh, work. No, me too. Come I think on. he's fantastic. But I thought that was a relevant point to bring in that little anecdote because it's something that I really li- that makes me like this film even more. Yeah, God, it's it's so good. Before that, the two this new duet can be announced as the winners of the Ernesto de la Cruz Plaza performance, they have to run away because Miguel's family has caught up with him, and they're being hunted to make sure that Miguel goes back with the stipulation that he cannot play music. So he eventually makes it to Ernesto de la Cruz's big old party up at the top of the afterlife world. Uh, he meets up with Ernesto de la Cruz. They hit it off immediately. Yeah, they're hanging out. Seems like an instant connection. Uh-oh. There's What's this? Trouble. There's a, there's a twist. There's trouble in River City, my boys. Hector Hector shows up trying to, trying to make sure that Miguel gets his picture back in the ofrenda. And uh-oh, Hector and Ernesto de la Cruz have a past. A very sordid past, if you will. As it turns out, Ernesto de la Cruz and Hector used to play music together. Hector was the songwriter, and when Hector tried to leave to go back to his family, Ernesto de la Cruz murdered him and stole all of his music. And the Which seems like a bit of an overreaction. <laughs> also, in a very strange, narcissistic point to de la cruz in his movie (laughs) yeah he does it the exact way line for line that he does in a movie that he stars in later later so he he documents he documents his his murder of his best friend and writes it into a movie except in the movie de la cruz is the one getting poisoned and figures out that it's poison yeah what a scumbag and write what you know yeah well that's what they say (laughs) you know how to poison people i guess Miguel knows too much, doesn't have De La Cruz's blessing. He and Hector are banished from De La Cruz's palace. Into that gorgeous water pit. Into that... the la- like, why does Ernesto De La Cruz have a Lazarus pit? Like, <laughs> He's a skeleton. He's obviously an evil skeleton at that. He might as well. I don't think that's his pit. I think it's just a pit Also, there. <laughs> the general pit of... Ooh, excuse me, I almost, I almost swore there. 
There's also a family show. There's also ruins in the pit, which indicate that there are ruins in the afterlife. So like are there past societies? Are those the people that is, are those like the Aztecs that? Oh yeah, that all that all have all been forgotten. Just so a crumbling civilization. Like specific Aztecs are probably forgotten, but Aztecs as a whole are still remembered. Like Montezuma is Montezuma is Montezuma the, somewhere kicking it in this afterlife out. still? I don't know how many ofrendas have. Montezuma. Well, just because just because he can't visit the afterlife. Also, I guess. The, oh, I suppose. I suppose. An afterlife of only Mexicans. So. Yeah. So does everybody else is is just is it only Mexicans get an afterlife? I guess. Like yeah. Mexican Catholicism is the one true religion, <laughs> but specifically <laughs> regionally Mexican Catholicism. Oh, well, good for them. So. <laughs> they figured it out. Suck it, guys. <laughs> Suck it, God. Take that. I'm winning the afterlife game here. So we learned that Miguel has wrongly assumed that De La Cruz is his great-great-grandfather, and it is, in fact, Hector, and then in a mad dash. And we find out the name, why the movie's called that. Coco. Yeah. After Miguel's great-grandmother Coco, but also Hector's daughter, who he was leaving De La Cruz to go back and, and see. Who was the... Only person in the living realm who still remembers him. And she has Alzheimer's or dementia, some mm-hmm. kind of disease that she's losing her memory of her father. And it is very important that Miguel get back with the picture of Hector so that Hector will be not lost in the nether realm, but instead be able to come back and see Coco. And then when Coco eventually dies, see Coco in the a- afterlife. Oh, God, yeah. You know, th- see, this is where, like... When we get the reveal about Coco and all that, uh, that's when the waterworks meter starts starts coming up a little bit, because good God, does it get emotional. Oh, boy. And then there's a huge MacGuffin sequence of trying to get back the picture of Hector from mm-hmm. Ernesto de la Cruz, which eventually ends with de la Cruz being exposed on television at his concert. Which, if I'm going to nitpick... Little cliche, but I'm not gonna lose sleep over it. I don't yeah, care sure. because it's it's not about De La Cruz yeah. to me. It's about the relationship between Hector and Miguel and Coco and all of the main characters who mm. I am invested in. It's that's what matters to me. I don't care about De La Cruz as much. So get him getting his comeuppance efficiently works fine for me. The, I just meant like how it was done. The whole like turn the camera. Yeah, <laughs> the La Llorona concert sequence that precedes that is awesome. Oh, yeah. It's Absolutely. incredibly choreographed. It's a great action sequence. Imelda getting stuck on stage with the picture and her and De La Cruz having a dance battle <laughs> to try to get it over to Miguel. The picture is ultimately lost, and Miguel returns to the mortal coil, believing that Hector will be permanently forgotten. When he goes to see Mama Coco trying to rouse yeah, her... Yeah, her memory. What does he do, Ricardo? He plays the song that's been hammered home this entire movie, uh, Remember Me. And does she remember, Ricardo? Does, and everyone starts crying. <laughs> yep, that's that's what happens. Oh, boy. Did you cry, Seamus? I teared up, Garrett. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't cry full on, but I definitely got misty. Yeah, also, you know, double down on the, on the mist when we do see Coco in... In you know, the skeleton form, hugging her pops. One year later, Coco is dead, but it's okay because she passed down the stories of her father, Hector, to those who are still on Earth, so they all remember him, and they can all come visit a year later. Also, what really hit me this time is... Real quick, just about the song. When I say Hammered Home, we do see multiple versions of this song. Yes. It plays into the whole, the character of Ernesto and how... He is just a really bad guy. Yeah, he was using this, Because he like, takes this very personal ballad, t- ballad-touching song man- man- written by Hector for Coco, his daughter, and he kind of twists it into this big, bombastic, kind of all-about-me show tune. Yeah, that's exactly what it which, is. Yeah, like, the sentiment of that song from him ultimately goes into why he's so popular and famous and endlessly not forgotten in the afterlife. Which makes it hit home more when you get that flashback sequence when he's actually playing it for Coco. Absolutely, yeah. Something I had only thought about this time around watching it is that the last time Miguel and Hector see each other until Miguel dies in however long 
is Miguel crying over Hector, thinking that he's going to be forgotten, saying, I promise I won't let Coco forget you, and then back to the mortal coil. That's when I just lost it, this viewing, was um, not even during the Remember Me song, but at the end when we see Hector and Miguel and the whole family together on the next Dia de los Muertos, and you realize how long it's going to be before those guys see each other again. It's rough stuff. Pixar coming in hot again with uh, the tearjerker, and it's all worth it. It's so good. But it's an absolutely wonderful film. I think it's a gorgeous film. It is one of the most emotionally poignant films that mm. Pixar's ever made. Yeah. Agreed. Do we have final thoughts on Coco? Watch it if you haven't. It's on Netflix. Yeah, definitely watch it. Please watch it. Netflix is going to be on Disney Plus. If you're Mexican, you've probably already seen it. Watch it again. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Great. All right. Let's move on with the show. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show Where's Riley? Ricardo, do you have any guesses for where Riley is on this fine morning? It's like, what, 9 a.m. right now? Yeah. 9 30. I'm, I'm going to. He's probably at home, right? He's at work. What? He's got work all weekend. Poor Riley. <laughs> Riley, as far as I am aware, he's not said anything to me, despite having claimed to have listened to at least the first episode of the podcast, which doesn't have Where's Riley, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Riley is still unaware of the Where's Riley segment that we are doing every week. So I think that makes it a little bit funnier. But this has been... Yeah, well, how many times have we done this now? Five. He's not at all curious as to why this keeps happening. Guess not. Every, like, Saturday or Thursday. Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Around the same time every week. You know, he's just a pal. You know, he just, <laughs> you know, we're. I'm just checking in on him. He knows that. Sometimes I, like, you know, I kind of change up the way I ask him a little bit. I'm not always just like, where are you right now? <laughs> but anyway, this has been Where's Riley? Now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode. Uh, I picked this one because of Ricardo's fondness for using this term. Today's pop culture reference is backdoor pilot. A backdoor pilot is an effort to get something, usually a television show, started from an already established television show. So if you have a set of characters that are new to the show and only on one episode of an already established television show that's only tangentially related to the main plot of the first television show, that's usually a backdoor pilot, meaning that they are trying to start a new television show based off of these new characters starting from this show instead of just starting from a pilot. This usually helps the show have a built-in audience and is an easier way to get a episode of television produced than strictly making a cold pilot. Ricardo talks a lot about using a backdoor pilot Often in the sense of podcasting, I think it's an applicable term outside of just television, but that's where it originated. I've got so many spin-off ideas, Garrett. Ricardo, can you think of a notable example of a backdoor pilot off the top of your head? Oof, not off the top of my head. The, I think the most popular one that I can think of is on the television show JAG, they have the backdoor pilot for the show NCIS, which is oh. the most popular television show yeah, I've on never, air somehow. I've never even heard of JAG. Everybody's grandpa watched Jag. My grandpa watched Jag. Is MCIS still on the air? I think so. Mark wow. Harmon's still still handsome, so <laughs> that's all that matters, right? As long as Mark Harmon is handsome, they'll still keep churning out NCIS. I think they've lost like their entire main cast that isn't Mark Harmon. You know, more power to them. The grandpas of the world, they thank you. On with the show. And now it's time for our segment, Hell is Other Podcasters, where each week we break down a new episode of The Good Place, only on NBC. This is episode three of season four. Chillaxin. It's a combination of cheaty and relaxin. Very important. So this episode opens with Eleanor and Michael having tea out on the concourse, which I thought was a charming little scene, talking about their progress. Uh, They believe that cheaty has started doing his moral philosophy lessons with the group, but unfortunately it turns out that he's stopped doing that. They figure out that part of the reason for that is because 
he is no longer feeling the pressure of having somebody's soul on his shoulders, having to carry that weight. And so they decide that they're going to have to torture Chidi to give him a soul to bear. And Eleanor obviously is grappling with it a little bit, though she starts... So she's, t- she's taking on a little bit more exuberantly than I would have initially thought, <laughs> wouldn't you think, Ricardo? Yeah, yeah I mean, you're kind of on board with her for most of it. Yeah. But at, at a certain point... Well, meanwhile, Tahani is going to have a spa day with John to try to get him to open up to her and be interested in the philosophy classes. How she decides to do that is to get him into the most exclusive areas that she can possibly think of to try to pull out her most obscure, most upper echelon name drops that she can and invite him into that inner circle. So they have a spa day. Meanwhile, Jason shows up with Eleanor to Chidi's office, and the second Eleanor leaves, tells him that he's not, in fact, Jianyu the monk, but, as we already know, Jason Mendoza, a DJ from Florida. And we're back at it again. Immediately back to weighing on Chidi's conscience, just like the end of the very first episode of the series. Throwing back to season one. It's a great little callback. I think it's a brilliant way to instigate this conflict for these characters. I think Eleanor's glee in doing it is indicative of her remembering her own experience with Mm -hmm. that, or at least... What does this version of Eleanor remember? Do they know all their memories now? I think she, at the very least, does, because she did that helmet yes. thing. Yes. Yes, she did. And that was that was a big part of season three. So she, like, knows all the past timelines. So she understands She's what Dr. this means Strange. to <laughs> How many timelines do we save the universe? One. Meanwhile, John tells off to Hani telling her that she is pompous and rude and that she lives her life on Earth poorly in the idea that she would be telling him that he needs to make amends for the way he lived his life on Earth is... A little hypocritical. Yeah, pretty hypocritical, which I think really makes Tahani reflect on her own approach to John and her own time in the afterlife. Eleanor, having been a little overzealous with her treatment of Chidi, is kind of talked down by Michael, but in the middle of the conversation, Chidi barges in to the architect's office saying that he feels like he's done something wrong and is being punished for it, which breaks out Eleanor in tears. I I made God cry. I I really laughed at that. Yeah, I wrote that down. (laughs) I thought that was a really funny line there. Yeah, I thought that was a really great little moment where Eleanor is unable to mask her feelings for Chidi, and throughout the whole episode, she's been really doing a good job of putting on that happy face Mm -hmm. of projecting professional architect omnipotence at him, but at the end of the day... I personally think she's really good at it. Yeah, she's doing a really good job. I'd watch a different show where Kristen Bell was like an Mm -hmm. architect-type character. But at the end of the day, Ricardo, she's just a girl from Arizona. And ain't, ain't that just the whole thesis statement of this whole show but finally Michael is able to plant in Chidi's brain the idea of bettering Jason without actually telling him to do so so we see Chidi go back to Jason with the idea that he's going to form a study group once again now this isn't apparently going to go on with every character though because as Tahani says She's going to try to reach out to John through meaningful, deep, personal connection. This is a conclusion that she comes to talking to Janet, and she goes and reaches out to John on a personal level, talking about her own loneliness from being in that upper echelon, that upper crust of the upper 1%. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really poignant moment. I think this is the most attention that Tahani's character has gotten in a long time, and it's overdue. I think I'm trying. Yeah, I'm, right now I'm even trying to remember what her other her other plot points even were. I think the last time we really dealt with anything that she was going through was with Camilla. Yeah, I was going to her relationship with her sister. We finally got some closure on that. And I and her parents, when she had to go through the door with her parents. That's right. The, oh, I, I love that sequence. Yeah, with her and her parents. Last the door. season. Yeah, that was a great sequence, but she's not really had much to do since then, and I'm glad to see her taking on this new storyline. 
I think that watching her try to work with John over the course of the season is going to be really interesting. It's a really interesting direction. This was a Brent light episode, so I'm wondering how that they, is still going to crack Brent. Yeah, they still haven't solved that puzzle, and I'm really excited to figure it out because yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that because he's easily the most unsympathetic one on the show. Yeah, and we're slowly realizing how these characters kind of reflect the characters in the Soul Squad. So obviously, Eleanor and Chidi have a past. Tahani and John have this new connection. Simone is, I guess, also tied to Chidi. Yeah. Which makes me wonder if we're going to see Brent have some kind of connection with Jason. If, I don't know how that's going to work at I don't all. know. Well, I was wondering if maybe if the revelation that Jason isn't supposed to be in the good place might prompt Brent to reevaluate. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen yeah. because last episode we had him realize that he is fine to be in the best place. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for whatever they're going to do. It makes me wonder if the thesis of this season is that they can't do it, if they're going to fail, if some people can't be bettered. That's a downer of a thing for your final season. I'm just wondering. I'm very curious about how they're going to... Like, I don't know how they're going to reach this guy. Finally, at the end of the episode, after the Soul Squad is confident about their new course of action with all four of their residents, we see far off, out in the desert, tease someone on a push cart going up the railway tracks a shrouded figure coming straight for eleanor and michael's neighborhood who could it be what does it mean what's going on ricardo i think you thought that that maybe recontextualized some of the things that happened earlier in the season do you have a little idea about who that shrouded figure might be you brought up the idea that in the first episode when Michael gets onto the train, there was a switch out because they do bring up the Michael suit. It very well could be maybe Michael somehow got off the train or like escaped from the bad place and is on his way back to the neighborhood. And the Michael we've been following since the end of episode one has been a demon in a Michael suit. I'm a little worried about that because I think there have been some really wonderful Michael moments that I don't want to have been Michael in a demon suit. I want them to have genuinely been mm-hmm. Michael. It makes me wonder if this is a demon in a Michael suit coming incognito to the neighborhood, trying to sneak in. This is likely something to do with the Michael suit, regardless. Uh, I think that's a really good possibility. I can't think of anybody else or anyone else that it could be. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with other alternatives who would be that big. I mean, it might just straight up be like an entirely new character. I mean, that would be really interesting. We also haven't seen Adam Scott's character in a while. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember where we left him. We'll find out Yeah, if he ever pops back up again. We unfortunately won't have a good place recap next week because Ricardo and Seamus are out of town. We've already pre-recorded that episode, so be on the lookout for that. We'll be talking well, Ghostbusters. Don't tell them that. You're going to ruin the magic. In two weeks, guys, that is when you will be getting our thoughts on next week's Good Place episode. We're going to be doubling up on The Good Place. It's going to be an extra long Good Place segment the next time you hear from us. So, sorry that we won't have a recap next week, but we're super excited to see you in two weeks. On with the show. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Well, I think we're going to move on and get to our rec center for this episode. And I think I'll go first. Uh, It's... It's October, it's Halloween month, it's spooky time, and I'm going to go with a classic. This is one that I hadn't watched for the longest time, but uh, after finally getting around to it um, a couple of years ago, I can unequivocally say it's one of the best, like, scary movies. Psycho, the original Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock, it's a kind of a, it's a, a common one. I didn't see it. I thought I didn't really have to because I kind of knew the tropes and the, the things that get parodied all the time, but uh, it's more than worth it to watch all the way through. It's definitely better than you would think. Great. Ricardo, what's your rec center? Uh, my rec center this week is going to be Harmon Quest, only on Verve. It's a, a Dungeons & Dragons type show where it's Dan Harmon, uh, Aaron McAfee, and a third guy who I don't remember his name. <laughs> but they're they're playing Dungeons & Dragons in every episode. They have a new celebrity guest who comes on and plays with them. So they go through the the game, the role-playing game, but it's also animated. Like They'll take the improv that they're doing and they'll animate it so it kind of forms a cohesive story. Oh, that's fun. 
Yeah, and it's really, oh God, it's so funny. It had me cry laughing the first season when I watched it. If you don't have a Dungeons and Dragons background, how much are you going to get out of it? I think because I don't have a Dungeons and Dragons background. Okay. Even if you don't, they'll explain what the game is in the intro and how the rules work. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're familiar with the, the concepts associated with the fantasy genre, you'll get along with this just fine. That sounds very fun. I'll have to check that out. I am also for my Save the Rec Center this week doing a web series. Uh, Defunct Land is a YouTube channel. The season three of which just premieres Defunct Land takes old theme park attractions or entire theme parks themselves and breaks down the history and long-lasting impact of them in a really professional, interesting way. Kevin Perjurer, the guy behind Defunct Land, really clearly prioritizes storytelling and engaging the audience in specific characters and telling a larger story over multiple episodes often. He also has recently branched out from just doing theme park history videos. He recently did a five or six part documentary series about the life of Jim Henson. That is as good as any professional documentary that I've watched in a long time. It's really moving and really sweet. I highly recommend you check out that Jim Henson documentary if you're at all interested in that. And if you're interested in the Defunct Land theme park episodes, I think the best entry point is The War for Disney's America, in which Kevin Bergerer tells the story of a theme park themed around America that Disney wanted to build in Virginia, told in the style of Ken Burns' The Civil War. <laughs> it is absolutely hilarious. They <laughs> clearly spent a lot of time and effort on it. It's really funny. I highly recommend you guys go check it out. So anyway, I think that's our show. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. To all of our Hispanic listeners, I I have a problem with the way Hispanic Heritage Month is set up. I don't know why it starts in the middle of September and goes into October. What the fuck is that about? I'm gonna be angry about that forever. Fix it. Just give us October or September. I don't I don't I don't understand. Yeah, that is weird. I didn't realize that. That's how I just assumed it was October that it was set up. It's like September twenty sixth or something to. It goes into October. It's real dumb, and I don't like it. Huh. The more you know. That's bizarre. <laughs> Write your congressman. Get this changed. <laughs> Write your congressman. Is that who, like, it's, I guess it's a national thing, so that's, that would be who legislates it. That's who I just assume is in charge of yeah, everything. Prob- yeah, probably. I think this has been a nice extra long episode of Pop Culture Reference. I hope you guys hung in with us all the way. If you ever want to talk to us about our rec centers or whatever our main segment was, you can reach us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com or tweet us at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter. I have been Garrett. I've been Ricardo Salgado. Seamus isn't here, but he was also here earlier. So he was Seamus. And this has been Pop Culture Reference. Make sure you go check out the Professional Cinema Society Halloween Horror Anthology Double Feature featuring Trick or Treat and Creep Show on October 25th at 7 p.m. in Mitchell Hall B91 if you're in the Milwaukee area. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.